Thursday, October 31st, the city streets are crowded for the holiday, even with the rain. Hidden in the chaos is the element, waiting to strike like snakes, but I'm there too, watching. We have a signal now for when I'm needed, but when the light hits the sky, it's not just a call, it's a warning to them. Fear is a tool, they think I'm hiding in the shadows, but I am the shadows. everyone welcome into without a mic episode 12 uh this is the podcast where we cover the latest movies and tv reviews industry updates and we cover live topics as well today i'm roger baugh this is spencer cook and we are going to review the batman yeah we're excited for this one this was definitely um top five most anticipated films of the year for both of us Easily. And so we're, Yeah, we're excited to dive into this. Is this 12 or is this 13? I can't remember. I thought it was 13, but maybe it is 12. Oh, man. Uh, you got me checking. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. While he's checking, let's, let's share 13. a little bit of... It's 13. It's 13. All right. So episode 13, everyone. Um, so let's dive into it. So this film, The Batman, just barely came out last weekend, uh, directed mm-hmm. by Matt Reeves, who's known for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, War for the Planet of the Apes, and Cloverfield. Which, by the way, if you haven't seen that Planet of the Apes trilogy, he did not do the first one. But it's a great trilogy, and I thought they did a great job with what they had at hand. Uh, this film stars Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Paul Dano, Jeffrey Wright, Colin Farrell, Andy Serkis, and many other great names. Like you, As you keep watching this film, you start to understand the great names that are in it. Uh, the mm-hmm. runtime is 2 hours and 56 minutes, so it's definitely an experience. Uh, you're getting your money's worth. And over the opening weekend, uh, the film made over $128 million domestically and over $248 million worldwide. So quite uh, quite the success from uh, opening weekend. But yeah, man, what was your overall impression? You saw it last week. I saw it twice last week. I want to hear what you think. Yeah, so first of all, I wanted to say that I absolutely enjoyed this movie immensely. Uh, there was a lot of hype coming in. Like Spencer said, this was a top five movie for both of us, and I think it exceeded my expectations personally. Um, it, it's a very different Batman. Uh, before we get into all the, you know, pros and cons and our, you know, our, our analysis, let's say, but I think it's a very different Batman than we've seen. It's a different type of superhero movie than we've seen. And for me, that was refreshing. Uh, it was more of a psychological crime thriller movie than a superhero, you know, hack and slash, throwing punches type movie. So, Overall, a fresh take on something that everybody loves, and as you can tell by the numbers, people are flocking to see it, and it's doing well. So uh, what about you? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm right in the same boat. I really enjoyed it. I went last Tuesday, and then, you know, I kind of have this, this concept, which I'm sure you've heard over the podcast, where if I, if I get out of a movie and I need to go see it again immediately, then I feel like that's a good sign. And after the three-hour, you know, runtime, I said, I need to go see it again immediately. So that's what I did. And I, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed, and we'll talk about, you know, more details as the podcast goes on, but I really enjoyed the fact that this was a no strings attached type film. There was no previous adaptation that influenced it. There was no, there's no previous hints or teasers or Easter eggs. This was all completely Matt Reeves inspiration and his direction and it felt that way. It felt very original, and there are many, many pros and a couple cons, but many pros yep. to kind of go into in, in regards to this. So, I want to hear what. Uh, let's start with the good. You know, let's start with the good yep. from this film. Um, you know, I'll kind of just throw this out there. This was to me the most practical Batman film of all time, and I yep. thought this was impossible to do. You know, especially with Nolan's trilogy because it was so phenomenal. But then you start to understand details that were, you see every single Batman and they never explain it. Like the, so for example, the black um, makeup, you know, under his eye, that's mm-hmm. in every single Batman. Every single Batman has it, but when they take their, you know, their- uh, Cowl off. <laughs> yeah, when they, when they take everything off, they don't see the black outline around the eyes. While in this one, Matt Reeves actually said he liked the thought of you walking through becoming the Batman with Bruce Wayne. And all that goes into it, and that's the makeup around the eyes. You know, that's that's him being exhausted and sweating. And I really enjoyed that aspect of the practicality. 
Yeah, I uh, I wholeheartedly agree. I think this is. Uh, I think even Nolan's Batman had a little bit of sort of a superhuman element to him, just a little bit, uh, which was fine. But I think I enjoyed this one more because the whole point of Batman is he is a normal guy, right? Like he doesn't have any superpowers. He's very smart. He's very resourceful. You know, he's very disciplined. But he's at the end of the day, he doesn't have any superpowers more than any other person, um, which is sort of why we all relate to him, I think. So uh, seeing him in this movie portrayed, like you said, you see sort of the fatigue and the, you know, the the toll on him more so and more raw than other movies. I think that was that was incredibly original. Um, I think another thing that I really enjoyed about this movie was sort of the the dark noir feel to it because we haven't had a Batman or any superhero movie other than maybe the Watchmen that has this type of feel. The Watchmen's the only other movie I could think of that has sort of this this noir detective, you know, crime solving sort of feel. Um, because the Nolan Batmans, uh, and I'll, we'll compare these a little more late, later, but that they're obviously the standard now, right? And so those were, they weren't necessarily like solving a crime or a case, but this one definitely had that, that Zodiac, that seven feel where it's, it's a, it's a battle of the minds and, you know, Batman kind of got to show off how intelligent and smart he is. You know, he's solving these riddles, he's putting it together. He wasn't perfect, but I think showcasing that was really, was really refreshing. And as someone who likes crime and, uh, you know, psychological crime thriller type movies, that was really refreshing and appealed to me. Um, and that'll also probably push some people away. If you're not into that, you may not enjoy this as much as other Batman movies, just because that's, it really goes all in on that. Yeah, it's not a cheap thrill kind of a film, you know, mm -hmm. I think, and that kind of goes into my next point is I put as a major pro the writing and the visuals because yep. this is probably the first, maybe not the first, but at least from what I can think of, one of the only superhero films where you're not focusing on the characters as much as you're focusing on the story. Mm -hmm. That's exceptionally hard to do. I mean, the fact that you were you're following this seven-like story, the Zodiac-type story the entire time, and you were focusing so hard on these story details and these plot details more than you were focusing on Batman, more than you were focusing on Catwoman, more than you were focusing on these individual characters. That gives a, That's a huge shout-out to the writing team, you know, especially Matt Reeves, because yep. at the end of the day, when you, when you take on a superhero role, you pretty much take on the role of saying, hey, we have this this character that everybody knows that everybody understands and you're going to focus on this person the entire time and he made it pretty much opposite to that and to go into the visuals i mean this is the best looking gotham i've seen on screen i mean absolutely they, they use the same led technology as the mandalorian which i mm -hmm. loved i thought they did a brilliant job and you could easily see it on each rooftop scene when they go to the um to the bat light and I loved it. It was it was absolutely beautiful, stunning. The lighting from the LED studio was so practical on Robert Pattinson's face. I mean, you got to remember this is a very dark noir type film, and so there are many dark moments. And so the lighting was so um, important, and I felt like yes. they nailed it on the head. The visuals looked great. The writing was great. I thought they just did a great job capturing your attention. Yeah, and especially showing us a Gotham we'd never seen before. Um, I, we've seen Gotham, it was almost, in Nolan's Batmans and in other Gothams, it's either like almost comically trashy or it's like almost too clean. And this mm -hmm. one I felt like was the perfect balance because you had this like kind of grungy dark Gotham, but it was never like, there's like wadded up newspapers everywhere just to kind of make it look dirty. And it's also like, but it, you can tell. So I think... I think that setting really set the tone. And I know I've seen a lot of people online, they're like, you know, they're like, the next one has to start with, you know, December 24th, Christmas Eve. Like, they're like, give us this <laughs> Gotham in the snow. And I was like, yeah, that'd be pretty sick. Like, I'd love to see this Gotham with Matt Reeves in, this, in the winter around Christmas time. Uh, maybe Mr. Freeze, I don't know. But that would be a really cool um, setting. So I think the world of Gotham in this movie was really immersive and, and it pulled me in. And I, I want to spend more time there. So, um, again, really, really well done. So, yeah, uh, do I mean, the visuals, just real quick to kind of add on to that. When I imagine Gotham City, I imagine this hazy black, orange, 
red mm-hmm. and they give you that it's the first time that yeah. we've seen it you know i mean nolan once again is my favorite director of all time but he everything he did was so perfect it was so to the t just perfect all the visuals were perfect and there there wasn't this sense of like it's almost like the comic book character was completely taken out and they they inserted this really well written character while this one is like, hey, we're going to include the comics, but we're going to be very original while we do it. And we're going to mm-hmm. show you this in, in real life form, probably the first time ever. And so I really enjoyed that. I just thought the visuals were so mind blowing. And then, you know, my last pro that I had, I mean, not last, but the major pro that stuck out to me was Paul Dano. I mean, this, I, I can't begin to describe him as a, as a villain, as an actor, um, he's, you know, obviously who's inspired by the, or his character was inspired from the Zodiac killer. Um, mm-hmm. in my opinion, I think he's second behind Heath Ledger's Joker for Batman villains that we've seen on screen. Um, Agreed. and his emotions were expressed in a way unlike any other, you know, I mean, w- when you're looking at him at first, you're like, yeah, okay. Anybody could do this. And then he, he had a range with his certain emotions and he arrayed, he had a range with his voice and the way he looked at you and the way he looked at the camera and the way he looked at Rob. And I just thought it was, it was phenomenal to see him on screen. I mean, th- there wasn't really a missing piece with the casting in my opinion. Yes. Uh, I think to that end as well, uh, another major pro for this for me was that this felt like a, a modern Batman for our times for this year. Like it felt updated and relevant. Um, there's certain things that happened in it. Um, Matt Reeves afterwards, um, this is, this contains spoilers. So we will have put that in the title, but, um, when he, at at the end, the Riddler sort of mobilizes all these regular people to go and, you know, commit domestic terrorism acts. Um, that reminded me personally of a lot of the attacks on the Capitol last year, um, just after the election in January. And Matt Reeves said that was, this was all done before that. So it was just coincidental that it happened, but that felt relevant to me. Um, sort of all the corruption, you know, in the in the city and all these people that were supposed to be fighting for justice and, and you know, upholding the law, they ended up being all of the, the slimy, you know, villains, or they were villains in the story. Um, that was also, I, I think, I, it felt relevant to me as well. Um, and then sort of this idea of change and like bringing about change, lasting change, um, Obviously, you have a, a black uh, female who is the mayor, who ends up becoming the mayor. You know, that felt relevant as well. So just a lot of, like, relevant things happening in the movie that also felt relevant in our time. Um, not to take away from Nolan's Batmans, but there were some things in there that were relevant, but it didn't feel as, like, I didn't feel as connected to it as the events of our time. Yeah, it's almost like you were watching... Nolan's Batman's for this like almost the cinematic experience as a whole Mm -hmm. while you're watching this one as like the the details so as a whole the cinematic experience was phenomenal from the Dark Knight series and then for this one all the individual details that built up the story just those were phenomenal and those stood out Um, what about a couple of cons should we get into these a couple of the things that you might have you know maybe changed or suggested differently uh, the first one I have on my list is the ending. Um, I personally, I, I wish they did not show the Joker. I wish they didn't show any type of, um, Joker introduction. Not that, you know, I forgot his name, Barry, uh, I forgot. Yeah. I don't know his last name from the Eternals and from Dunkirk. Um, I just, I Kogan, not that I had a, Co- yeah, Kogan? That, yeah, I think that's it. Is that right? That's how it's, it's K-E-O-G-H-A-N. I don't know how okay, to pronounce yeah. it. Yeah, so not that he did a terrible job or anything, but I almost think Matt Reeves kind of puts himself puts himself in a corner, even though he did blatantly say, this may be the last time we see Barry's Joker, you know, in this entire universe. But at the same time, you introduced him at the end of the film. That is putting yourself in a corner. And not to mention, I mean, be kind of go off your own you know the riddler has not been seen on screen in a film since Mm -hmm. uh jim carrey you know and so it it'd be awesome to see him play with maybe mr freeze who also hasn't been on screen since arnold schwarzenegger you know to to bring in a character that's been on screen multiple times over the last 10-15 years i mean that's just that's adding a little bit more fuel to the fire that could cause criticism 
and I just thought it was a little bit interesting. And they, it could have done without it. I mean, the ending was great without it. They didn't really need the Joker to step in, but just a kind of a minor criticism that I have. Yeah, I, I, I was okay with it. I do think, like you said, it kind of set you set that expectation. Now fans want to see more of that Joker, and now either you do it or you don't. And if you don't, you know, people are going to keep asking because it's like, oh, the next villain is, let's say, Mr. Freeze. And everyone's like, cool, now Joker, right? And it's like, well, no, now we're going to do so-and-so. And, you know, there's always going to be that expectation. Or you do it, which, as you said, again, this is a very original movie. It was refreshing to have the Riddler. I was excited about that from before. And then if you go right back to the Joker, it's like, okay, you know, this had better be really good because, you know, obviously Heath Ledger set the bar, Joaquin Phoenix, you know, we've had Jared Leto's Joker. There's just been a lot of Joker lately, which granted he is Batman's biggest villain. So, I, you know, if they're going to continue this for a while, I, Joker's going to show up at some point. Um, so if you already plan on doing the Joker later on down the line, it's it's okay. I would prefer that the next villain be not the Joker um, and maybe bring him in later on. But at the same time, I could see how maybe they're like, let's do the Joker in the second movie. The first one was successful. The Joker will get people in. And then the third one, we can really like hit it hard with somebody else. So, Well, um, this, is, this is interesting because before Heath Ledger, there was no on-screen adaptation of the Joker since Jack Nicholson, you know, at right. least in the film, in, as a film. You know, Mark Hamill does a phenomenal job. I'll state that right now as the animated yes. voice for the Joker. But... I feel like because of Heath Ledger's massive success as the best villain we've ever seen on screen all time, it's kind of opened this door to say, well, let's continue. Let's make let's make mm-hmm. new adaptations. Obviously, everybody loves the Joker. Let's keep portraying the Joker. And that's a dangerous, you know, kind of role to go down. I mean, we might actually see a little bit of danger with the Batman character because there are three Batmans who will be on screen this year. Four, if you're including the animated Super Pets, you know, movie that's coming out or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, that's it's so difficult because there's not this there's no continuity. Whereas with Marvel, everything they do is continuity. Everything ties back right. into one another. Even with three Spider-Men on screen, they tied it into one continuity you know continuous type film so i think it's just they're playing with a little bit of fire i don't have a problem with it i just think they could have done without it yeah and i i can see i think i think what we've seen right with the joker so far is that you have to make it unique in its own way and then do do that excellently like obviously heath ledger set the bar um, and Joaquin Phoenix's Joker worked and did so well because it was unique and done mm-hmm. expertly. And Jared yeah. Leto's was ultimately rejected by the fans because it wasn't super unique. It felt kind of like a copycat and it wasn't done that well within the context of that movie. And so it was rejected. So I think if you're going to use Barry Con- Conan's uh, Joker in a future movie, it has to be unique and it has to be done in a way that sets it apart in a excellent way and then it will be okay um but we already love robert pattinson as the batman everyone's bought into this and wants more so i think they can pull it off um but like you said it's just it's a a little more of the same when i think this movie was so fresh like we're hoping the next one's gonna just build on that and if it goes back to the joker and kinds of end up being not as great as it could have been then we're gonna point to it and say well you used the joker again and you didn't do that good of a job so that's why this movie wasn't as good so yeah, that's a, think, that's a tough one. Yeah. Um, for me, I I thought the ending, you know, the Joker was a nice little tease. Um, I think the only thing, I don't really have a lot of negatives on this movie. I think it, it really pushed a lot of boundaries and the risks they took, I think, paid off. Um, it The Riddler was such a, a tough villain to wrap up because he turned himself in, essentially, Um by choice so batman didn't really catch him right he stopped his ultimate plan but he didn't really catch him so you know i felt like that was they sort of like wrote this fantastic great story and they kind of did the seven thing right where he turns himself in and then his grand finale is something that he's set up while he's in captured or supposedly captured um so that i i feel like they could have found a little bit more clever of a way to catch him um, it was fine, but I, that was one of my little nitpicky things. It, it was still fine, but it, 
I was like, ah, oh, they could have come up with a better way of like, you know, capturing him, letting Batman have that moment. Cause they were just For like, sure. look, he's in the window. And then they're like, some lady saw him at the coffee shop. And then they go there and he's just like, ha, ha, ha. like I got my question mark coffee. And it's like, yeah, we got it. Like, <laughs> Batman wasn't even in on that. He just watched through the window. So yeah, I was like, that was a little anticlimactic, but overall it was, it, you know, it was obviously part of his plan, but I was just like, man, they could have done a little bit better with that. So yeah, um, the rela- I will say the relationship that Matt Reeves wrote regarding the Riddler and and Batman was so unique. I mean, if you haven't yeah. seen the original, not the original, but the the on-screen adaptation with Jim Carrey playing the Riddler, this his character is obsessed with Bruce Wayne. He really likes mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne. He thinks his demeanor is very admirable and he kind of idolizes him. And then he gets turned the wrong way because of certain reactions and whatnot. And that's why he kind of right. has this vengeance towards him. Whereas in this film, the Riddler thinks the Batman is is working with him the entire time. And that's mm-hmm. why he keeps writing him letters, which I think is brilliant. Like, I had yes. no idea that's what the main story arc for the Riddler was, was that he was like, oh, the Batman's the only true person who's kind of in on this with me. And he's my physical abilities and I'm doing all the mental work. And yep. that just blew my mind. So I think they the writing in regards to that was phenomenal. I do think to your point, I mean, this was the best detective Batman we've seen probably in right. the longest time. And the fact that he was such a great detective but didn't get the satisfaction of capturing somebody. Yeah, that did, that's a that good did way kind of have – I mean, he – in a sense, he did capture Falcone, but, like, that wasn't the main villain. So that doesn't add up to the same kind of, you know, yeah, emotional was, grab. I think you worded it excellently. I think capturing Falcone was less satisfying, but that's the that's the satisfaction they gave you. And I think if they had switched that, where, like, he left and, like, the cops grabbed Falcone, that would have been a lot more satisfying, and then he got the Riddler. I think if you had swapped that, that might have been... A lot more satisfying but then again the riddler you know when he's in he's captured him he goes to talk to him and he sort of has that meltdown where he realizes batman's not on his side um i think that scene couldn't have happened if it were the other way around um, yeah so I agree. I, there's you know and i'm nitpicking to be honest you know like i i don't think there's any glaring blemishes with the movie or like oh this was terrible like i wish they hadn't done this but if yeah. i could nitpick that would be my my one thing so well, I do have two other cons, at least to my... And once again, these are not major. These don't change the story. It's just mm-hmm. it's more things that I, I blatantly saw where I was like, okay, this could have been changed. So I, I think some of the special effects were pretty noticeable. Um, I think some of the CGI moments, you know, this is where Christopher Nolan is at the peak of every director in the game because he always... He, he plays with very special effect heavy sequences and never goes heavy on special effects Mm -hmm. and in this you know in this case you could see it quite a bit when it you know came down to you know batman uh using the squirrel suit off the building and then he crashes into the truck you know that when he crashes that's when you can really see it um and but that's okay like i understand there was a lot of action a lot of different sequences in this film so for the most part it was great regarding the special effects, but being a film that is entirely practical with the story, I think that was maybe a little bit, you know, to focus on. And they did have a big budget. I mean, it was a $250 million or $200 million budget. So, you know, taking that into consideration moving forward wouldn't be a terrible idea. And then the Batman suit needs to be figured out because, you know, I did see when I saw it the second time around, um, and by the way, I'm not talking about design or anything. I'm talking about Robert Pattinson is visibly uncomfortable in the Batman suit in many sequences when he's turning his head and he's, he's like kind of shuffling his head a little bit because he's trying to be super smooth and you could tell he's just not. And, you know, I've, I posted this, you know, on my, on my TikTok, and many people were like, well, maybe this is his first version of the Batman suit because he created it. This is year two. And then, you know, they'll, they'll make a better mold in the next film. That's great and all, but at the same time, we're in 2022. I mean, we need to figure out the Batman suit and and make it more smooth and and more accessible. But overall, nothing to take away from the experience of the film, just some minor critiques that I think may have enhanced it a little bit better. Well, I know we're going to go over some fun facts more in a bit, but um, and some insights into the behind the scenes and the making of the film and things like that. But I know they had him try on just about every Batman suit up till now 
you know, uh, Zoe Kravitz in an interview was talking about how when they kind of, one of their first encounters was him wearing George Clooney's top Batman half and then sweats on the bottom half. And they're just kind of <laughs> chilling, hanging out. And he was talking about how different parts of different suits fit him better than others. And so uh, just, you know, I think they were playing around with different ideas for what sort of to make this one. Because uh, Christian Bale's suit was very, like, it looked like a body armor, you know. It was all muscular and, like, you've got these pads and this sleek kind of military-looking unit. Mm-hmm. And I think they wanted to go back to more of a traditional Batman suit, but also kind of maintain a little bit of that that armor. And so it, I think, to your point, it sounds like they needed to kind of commit to one or the other but he was taking bullets, so it's like you got to have it be yeah, sustainable. Yeah, no, a thousand percent. It's just like there were so, for example, just to kind of hone in on what I'm what I'm thinking of, the moment where he pretty much flips the penguin's car and walks up to the penguin. This is mm-hmm. such a massive sequence of him bending down and turning to the penguin, and you could visibly see how hard it was for him to do that scene. And that's okay, you know. Once again, yeah. these are these are little things that they may or may not touch upon in the, in the next film. But at the same time, it's just like, okay, everything's practical. The car is practical. The villains are practical. Your penthouse in New York City, rather than you being in some massive mansion, is practical. So yeah, these these moments I think need to be a little bit more practical, especially because that's Matt Reeves' number one focus is keeping this as practical as possible. But yeah, great, great film. I mean, I think the pros heavily, heavily, heavily outweigh the cons, but just a couple, you know, nitpicks here and there. Yeah, I think uh, one, let's kind of talk about a little more of the context. I think we've kind of danced around comparing it to other Batman movies. And I think the big one is obviously the Dark Knight movie with Heath Ledger's Mm -hmm. The Joker. Um, I think that's clearly the standard. That's clearly the best one that's been done. Critics agree. I think fans can agree. So for you, you know, I'll shoot this out to you. Com- comparing this and that, what were your, your thoughts? Do you think there's a better one? Do you think that maybe it's better in different ways? Like what, what was sort of your impression mm. of this? Yeah, I mean, the, so the Dark Knight is, it's almost flawless. I mean, the, the acting, the, I mean, all the cinematography, the storyline. Once again, a very long film. I believe it was like a two-hour, 45-minute film. Yeah, they're about the same um, I length. Have, I have this one, so I have The Batman by Matt Reeves as second all-time. Um, I have it behind The Dark Knight. Um, I kind of have a tough struggle with putting The Dark Knight Rises or Michael Keaton's first Batman as number three. Um, but I, I think they had so many similarities, and it's funny, and I think this is probably something that future directors and future writers will take as an inspiration, is Nolan's was number one because of the practicality and then this one will be considered number one and number two to many people because of the practicality. If you can yeah. relate to something, it's going to mean a lot more. And like you said, this is very this is a very relatable film. The story mm-hmm. is very relatable with serial killers, with rioting, with sick politicians, with things that we see day in and day out on different perspectives. And that's why we could attach ourselves to it with different emotions. Whereas, you know, you have George Clooney's Batman, Val Kilmer's Batman, and even Michael Keaton's Batman are very much out-of-world stories that you could never relate to on a on a real-life basis. But as a comic book fan, you know, you're a fan of it. So I think this kind of mixes both worlds together, and I think that's why it's such a brilliant film. Yeah, I think uh, I think you hit it on the head. I think what, we've, what we as fans and audiences have told you dc and and um anyone who creates the batman is we love the practicality of it because again batman is a he's someone that we can relate to because he's an he's a regular person right he doesn't have any enhancements other than things that you know he's built or you know things that he's trained for you know his mind is very sharp um and so we love that you know and when you take someone who's supposed to be someone we identify with and put them in a comic book kind of crazy out there world uh, it, it loses the magic that it could otherwise have had because um, you can I re, you know I can relate to Robert Pattinson in that movie like I can relate to Christian Bale in, in those movies uh, just because you know you can see that human element and it's it's more about the mm-hmm. person and not about oh we need to like make him you know beat these kind of clowny 
villains and stuff like that. It brings them to a more real and more relevant level, and that's what we like. So, yeah, great point. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of intriguing. You know, when you walk out of that film, you're like, wait, did I did I see much Bruce Wayne in that film? Which is so different to any other Batman because he's 90% Batman in this film and 10% Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to once again, to Matt Reeves' credit, when he wrote this film, um, this is kind of one of my, my little hidden facts or hidden gems, but so the Bruce Wayne character was obviously inspired by Kurt Cobain, and for the main reason was that Kurt Cobain loved writing music but hated the fame that came with it, and he all he wanted to do was write music. And so he said he instantly thought of Robert Pattinson because he knows that Robert Pattinson is a big fan of acting, and he loves the art, but he doesn't like a lot of the fame. He doesn't like a lot of the spotlight. He doesn't like doing a bunch of, you know, press tours and stuff. And so he's like, mm-hmm. I kind of figured this was my perfect guy. And then you could see it in the film as Bruce Wayne, you know? So you have the Kurt Cobain example, the Robert Pattinson, and now you have the Bruce Wayne. It's a billionaire, mm-hmm. quote unquote, billionaire playboy who hates being the billionaire playboy. And he'd rather just go out and be this hidden hero that nobody knows about so i think the the metaphors and the analogies really mesh well together and i think that's why you kind of have this very genuine authentic experience with robert pattinson who in my opinion is the first time i've ever had to ease into a batman but once i eased into him as the batman i really enjoyed him because you're you're not used to the way he portrayed it you know i mean he portrays it very different from other batmans and i think that's what made it a little bit more original and unique Yeah, one thing, so for The Dark Knight and The Batman, I think they're both great, but for different reasons. Um, Mm. I think The Dark Knight movie really was about the Joker. Like, you came away from that, and the Joker, Heath Ledger's performance, was really what you left with. And Batman took sort of second backseat to that. Um, not that Christian Bale didn't do a good job or that the movie wasn't well done, but I ult- I think a lot of people, when you talk about The Dark Knight, that's one of the first things people will bring up. And, oh, man, Heath Ledger was so good. You know, iconic performance. Um, but no one really says that. Like, man, Christian Bale in The Dark Knight, iconic performance. Like, fantastic. Like, no one ever says that. Yeah. Um, and again, not to take anything away from him, but I think that this was so refreshing because it was a film about Batman, not Bruce Wayne not the Riddler, you know, not this other stuff. It was about Batman and it was about a Batman that, um, and there's a quote I saw that, you know, the movie is the first time that not only do you leave the, the theater or leave seeing the movie feeling like the, the city is safe. Now you also feel like it can be a better place now because of this Batman. And I think it really came across like, you know, Robert Pattinson really was his, his portrayal of the Batman really left you with hope, which was the message at the end of the movie. Um, and I think that I don't think that for me, Christian Bale's Batman at the end of the dark Knight hit that same chord with me. You know, he kind of has the, you know, I'm the hero Gotham needs. I'll be that, but you know, I'm the hero. They, you know, we needed the hero we deserved, but now I'll, I'll be the one they need. Um, so he sort of adapted to like clean up the Joker's, you know, attack on the city uh in this batman you know he overcame the attack and that made him a better person not oh i have to conveniently switch to be what the city needs just to cancel out what the joker did and so i think for me that felt a little bit more relatable and authentic as batman being a hero instead of being like the convenient scapegoat to sort of Mm -hmm. cancel out a, a more masterful plan um because the riddler had a great plan and the joker had a great plan they were just different um, but the difference was the Riddler's plan cre- caused Batman to have to kind of become better personally so that externally he could overcome that. Whereas I think Christian Bale's Batman had to become better externally and it didn't really feel like he personally became that much better because he he didn't have to... He's like, oh, we lost Harvey Dent, you know, I'll be the scapegoat and take the blame. It, but it was like, did you really learn the lesson like that you were supposed to learn from this? And I don't know if he did. Hmm. That's an interesting take, and I, I like it. I think it's it's also refreshing, and I think the the art of this movie is that it's a refreshing film. It's not, yeah. You know, when you take take Michael Keaton, right? So there's kind of that origin where you see his parents die. You take Christian Bale. There's that origin. You see his parents die, and then even if you take 
you know, George Clooney, who I believe, I mean, I haven't seen that film in a long time, but you take George Clooney and I, I believe he's just kind of in that role and you take Val Kilmer and you do see the origin of his parents. Dying. It's like, it's the same thing just replayed over and over. And then you take this version where it's year two. We've never mm-hmm. seen a year two Batman and what the emotions are like. We've only really ever seen a year one and then an experienced like five year Batman. That's kind of what it feels like at least. And yep. so to take this year two and to see, you know, the kind of the chemistry between him and Jeffrey Wright's character, Commissioner Gordon, or at least at this point, Lieutenant Gordon or, or Sergeant Gordon, I can't, I don't know what he's called in this film, but it was phenomenal because he's the only one who trusts him. But because mm-hmm. he trusts him, he's allowed on crime scenes. He's allowed to be speaking to civilians. He's allowed to be speaking to different cops. And I, I liked kind of the human aspect of the Batman and how he was involved so much with the community. I mean, he walks mm-hmm. into a nightclub. You know, he literally walks into a nightclub. And you wouldn't see that. You'd always see him kind of fly in through some window that's, you know, unlocked or whatnot. And you, you see this very human element where he's like, hey, I'm the Batman. I'm going to walk into something because I know I can. And I liked kind of the original framing of the story and how there's no there's no pullback. There's no pullback on any previous film. And I, I keep going back to that because of how impressive it is. Mm-hmm. But it also tells me how hard it's going to be to make a second film because of how well they did with this one. So, yeah, I... I think the, to your point, the fact that they sort of skipped the origin story for this movie is one of the reasons why it was so good because um, they did this with Spider-Man, with Tom Holland's Spider-Man, with Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, when you have a character like Batman or a character like Spider-Man where there's been multiple iterations of them, everyone knows the, the backstory. They did this actually with uh, Into the Spider-Verse 2 where, you know, they kind of comically gloss over it it's like all right let's do this one last time and then they tell the quick origin story and then someone else has to all right let's do this one last time and they tell it real quick you know we already know the backstory for batman we've seen it you know multiple times we know his parents died by taking that out of the movie it really allows you to tell the story you want to tell without feeling like you have to set it up Um, Mm -hmm. which i think is why spider-man Tom Holland Spider-Man was able to get off and running and do much better because it's like, let's take that half hour out where we have to do the flashback and show this and set it up, you know. Let's just get past that and show you. We're going to fast forward. You already know what's going on. We trust the audience to understand what's going on. And you can start with that epic opening scene where, you know, he's talking. That's what we started the show with. Um, you know, he's. you can see the psychological impact he has on different criminals in different locations the guy in the convenience store the guy's tagging the wall they think he's in the darkness um but he's not but that influence that he's created is is actually part of his his aura and his his ability and so kind of being able to set up that scene you wouldn't be able to have that same effect if it's like flashback parents died now look he's the darkness it just wouldn't have the same effect because that intro really sets the tone for the entire movie of like, you know, I'm out there, I am the darkness, I am vengeance, and then you sort of see these effects playing out in real time. Um, so I think that was masterful and give us more comic book stories with less origin stories because we, as an audience, you can trust us to figure out what's going on, um, especially if you're redoing a character. So again, the Joker, like we don't need another origin story for the Joker. Like I actually liked that they did that with, uh, the Joker at the end of the Batman. It's like, he's just there. Like, and he's already caught. So something happened where he's already in jail. Like, you know, you don't need to tell us. Deleted scene, by the way. What? So that, that, that's a deleted scene that will be available. So that's what he said, how he got caught or how he became the Joker. So there's, there's a scene with him and Batman and Batman catching him and putting him in, putting him in Arkham. Yeah. So, that's that's something to kind of keep an eye on is the story, you know, there are many cut scenes from it. Um, but to your point, I'm you know, sure. many, many, many practical scenes, you know, like um, him not being able to fight every single crime, you know, thug, every mm-hmm. single thug that's out in the middle of the night. Like and he talks about that. He's like, I can't be everywhere, you know. And I'm like, that is the most vulnerable, realistic statement that we need to hear from Batman, because all we ever think is how the hell does he get to every single criminal? Like, how is he everywhere at once? And he's like, no, I have to choose very carefully who I'm going after and the implications that it has on the community and society. 
And so, yep. and, and then of course his bat cave is literally an old terminal that was the Wayne terminal. And I was like, this is brilliant. It's not just some yep. random cave that's found in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's a literal terminal that's just run down and nobody ever uses it. And so that's realistic. So there's, and it, I, yeah. To, to your point too, the, the, uh, the Batmobile and his motorcycle, they're very like realistic things that you're like, yeah, if someone with a bunch of money wanted to soup up a car, this is what they would do. And then he just has a regular motorcycle that's like, there's no like bat wings and it's not purple and black. It's just a normal motorcycle and he's wearing a normal helmet. Uh, and it's just like, yes, this is refreshing. You know, not, he's not going to be able to make a bat gadget version of everything realistically. You know, the, the Batmobile was cool, but it was just a black car with a bunch of souped up upgrades. And so, and he's driving around and it's crashing and getting pieces ripped off of it type thing. It's like, yeah, it's, you know, you're going to have to fix this if you're, you're going through explosions and stuff. So that was just refreshing, I think, um, to kind of yeah. see. And, you know, if you think about it, the only like bat tool that he uses is the grapple gun. Apart from that, yeah. I mean, you don't really see anything else, which I appreciate. I mean, I guess he has his, uh, which I really like that, like kind of arm, that arm thing that he had. But that's kind of where he had his tools, you know, that's right. the, the grapple gun. It's not like he had these these little bombs, these smoke bombs, you know, these gadgets to just make you, you know, have some heart attack. I don't know. You know, like that's what you kind of expect in these other movies. But with mm -hmm. this one, it's like, hey, what can he realistically get away with? And a grapple gun was kind of the one thing. So, And it was used sparingly. So it wasn't, he wasn't overly reliant on gadgets and, and yeah. you know, toys and tech and things like that. Like it, most of it was psychological going back to that point. You know, it's the Riddler creating these puzzles and these, it's, it, it felt almost like Sherlock Holmes-ish, you know. I, I think of that scene where, in the Robert Downey Jr. one, where he sort of draws on the floor and he's, you know, drinking laudanum I've never or seen him. Oh, really? I've never seen him, no. Yeah, so he does the same thing where there's it's this big case and there's like all these Bible references to this grand scheme. And so he's, he's you know, on something. He's, he's on some kind of drugs and... He draws it on the floor and puts all these tomes and rituals around and he sort of goes into this, he goes down in there and tries to figure it out. And so Batman kind of does the same thing. You know, he draws all the stuff on the floor. Mm. Um, okay. So uh, uh, that's been done and that was done in the, the Sherlock show with Benedict Cumberbatch as well. But just sort of that, like, I have to get into the villain's mindset. I'm going to go, you know, sort of go through his process and try to get there. Um, so, you know, just, just sort of him relying more on natural things instead of yeah. unnatural things. So Yeah. No, I um, think practicality is kind of the overarching message of of this version of the Batman. What would mm -hmm. you rate it, man? I mean, out of ten. One out one being the worst, ten being the best, what would you rate it? So I kind of for me, I I feel like time is something that we're all short of, right? Uh so for me, like I kind of when I talk to someone about a movies, they usually tell me like, like you definitely have to see this. Like, Oh, it was pretty good. Or like, yeah, it wasn't that good. Or it was terrible. I feel like that's the scale. So if I think for mm, me, okay. if I were to rate it on a have to see it, it was pretty good. Kind of a, you don't have to rush out and see it right now, but it was pretty good. Um, there's like the, eh, it was fine. And then there's the, it was terrible. Don't go see it. It was fantastic for, um, <laughs> so it, I would give it a, a go see it like, like absolutely fantastic. Go see it now, like make plans this weekend, um, check it out. Uh, I think it's, like I said, it, not everyone will appreciate it because it is, because it, because it is brave and takes a risk of going after a specific style. It will alienate some people because not everyone's going to love like a dark psychological crime thriller like a, a Zodiac or a Seven, you know, that's not everyone's cup of tea. And if you really don't like movies like that, I can see why there might be a little bit of a barrier between this Batman and someone who doesn't enjoy those. If you love those movies, you're in luck. This is going to be great. And if you just love the Batman and you're, you're looking for fresh, great movies and, and things like that, I think you'll really enjoy it too. But I do think there will be a specific audience that doesn't like this movie, and that's the reason why. What about you? Yeah, that's a, that's a good take, man. I like that you kind of look at it that way on a scale, you know. And I, I do my film reviews and I do my scale at the end, you know, one out of ten, and one being the worst, ten being the best. And so I did one for the Batman, 
And I think over, if you look at every aspect of this film, and there are many, many, but like the main yeah. ones, you know, you look at the way it was written, you look at the way it was directed, you look at the cast and how they acted, you you hear the sound of this film, and mm-hmm. then you know, obviously the camera work with the visuals, like there's not a missing piece. And yeah. so I, I ultimately gave this a 9.2 out of 10, which Ooh. in my in my opinion is exceptional. Like I I think the only other nine, I think I gave Spider-Man No Way Home a 9.1. I'm not sure, um, but I know like Dune got like an 8.9 in my scale. So like I found this film exceptionally rejuvenating and refreshing and it wasn't stiff, it wasn't stale. It was, it kept you in, in tune with the story the entire time. You weren't just... You weren't just entertained by the characters, you were entertained by the story. And I keep going mm-hmm. back to that because it's so remarkable to do in a, a superhero film. So yeah, I mean, 9.2 out of 10, I thoroughly encourage everybody to go see it and go see it twice. Go see, the, go see it twice for the fine details that you find out throughout the film because it, it gives you a whole different perspective of the, of the details that Matt Reeves includes. Yeah, this is definitely a movie to see in the theater. Um, that's another thing is, you know, it, it's going to be fun to see it at home, you know, later on. But definitely you have to see it in theater. If you can see it in IMAX, even better with the Dolby Atmos. You know, you, I remember the scene where his Batmobile fires up for the first time and the theater's like, you know, shaking. And you're like, I'm in the Batmobile. Let's go. Um, because you feel yep. it like shuddering. And I feel like that's exactly how they like Penguin would have felt. He like turns around. And uh, you see the, the car lighting up as it's warming up and, uh, you know, the ground shaking and stuff. And I'm like, that's how a penguin feels. Like, this is so immersive. So Yes. Um, yeah. Definitely see it in IMAX if you can. Um, it's one of those movies that's just better on the big silver screen and better in the full immersive experience. So I agree. Um, I do have a, but, a couple, couple little news bits and then I'll kind of close out here. Yeah, I've got one or two um, as well, so let's do it. Cool. So for everybody who didn't know, so Pattinson did sign a three-picture deal with Warner Brothers. Uh, this does hint at the idea of a trilogy. I don't know what else it would hint at, but I'm not going to confirm it because it's not confirmed yet, but it hints at the idea of a trilogy. Um, this would only be the second Batman trilogy ever made, so behind the Dark Knight series, so that's something mm-hmm. to kind of keep an eye on. Um, let's see... So the Riddler was partially inspired by the infamous Zodiac Killer who operated in California in the 1960s. The Penguin character was inspired by, uh, it's either Frito or, or Fredo from The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zoe Kravitz was actually, this was news that came out today. Uh, Zoe Kravitz was actually turned away from The Dark Knight Rises because she was, quote, too urban. So she took that as her color of her skin uh, didn't match yeah. the, vi- the vision for uh the Catwoman, which is terrible because she was phenomenal. She, yeah, she, she's she portrayed um, Catwoman better than on, honestly anybody I've ever seen on screen. So I agree, I agree. Yeah, we didn't even talk that much about you know. I think you know Colin Farrell's Penguin was the best version of the Penguin. I think um, Paul Dano's Riddler was the best Riddler. I think uh, Zoe Kravitz, you know, uh, Catwoman was the best Catwoman. So I think everyone did such a great job as Spencer mentioned this before, but just a phenomenal cast. Like there were no weak spots in the, in the core cast of this movie. There was no one like, you know, they were kind of the weak spot. Everyone did a fantastic job. Yep. So, um, and, and the movie's working title was vengeance. So while they were working on the, while they were working on, on, you know, the script and they were acting and they were in the studio, it was uh, titled vengeance. And then my last little bit of notes was, Paul Dano and Robert Pattinson were the actors envisioned while Reeves was writing the script. He had no idea if they would want to do the film or if they would want to be in the Batman, but he completely envisioned those two actors before he even reached out to them. So that's kind of cool. That's awesome. I just had one other little quick thing. Um, This is, you know, you've mentioned this, and I think a lot of people are sort of seeing Robert Pattinson for the first time in this as sort of, oh, he's not just the Twilight guy, right? Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he was in Tenet, which was, he was fantastic in Tenet. Um, but one of the movies that he's most, like, critically acclaimed for that no one's heard of is called Good Time. Um, yep. I have not seen it, but I want to. Um, and I, I don't know if this is true, but I, I believe it was after watching this film that, uh, that they basically said, yeah, this is kind of, like, who we want to go for for Batman. I is that is yep. that true? That's that's right. Matt Reeves watched Good Time and he immediately said, "I want 
I want this guy to be like he's this is my version of Batman right here. Right. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, so there is an Easter egg in the movie. Good time shows up in the movie. It's the name of the little uh, liquor store that's robbed by the guy with the turnip head at the very beginning of the movie. If you look closely next time you watch it or when the first time you watch it, um, the name of that store is called Good Time. Um, And that's a little homage to Robert Pattinson's Good Time movie, which was um, the inspiration for his casting choice as the Batman. So fun little Easter egg for you there. Uh, Next time you watch it, check it out. it'll be a good time so yeah no i love that i mean if if i were to leave with anything i mean the reason why robert pattinson is back as an a-list actor is because he took an untraditional you know an unconventional route to become Mm -hmm. an a-list actor again because when he was in twilight he was obviously sought after but he decided instead of taking these roles that really enhanced his physical appearance or these roles that really didn't fit you know his persona he didn't want to be in any rom-coms or anything he decided to actually turn to the independent movie scene because he wanted to express his acting ability. And that's where you mm-hmm. see a lot of those movies, you know, Good Time. You know, he worked on The Lighthouse recently. Like Roger said, he was in Tenant. He was in King on Netflix. He's in Devil mm-hmm. All the Time. These are all great performances. And uh, kind of a fun fact, Robert Pattinson will never use his real um, accent in any role. He will change his accent regardless if it's a British role or if it's not so in tenant that's not his real accent even though he is british himself so hmm. kind of an interesting easter egg yeah that's uh there's so much i feel like you know now that we're kind of wrapping up you know there's so much more we could talk about but i think yeah. the, the overall message is just go see it for yourself and you know just enjoy it for yourself i think there's something in this movie for everyone um and i think that like I said, other than that small audience that that won't identify with this type of movie, um, I think everyone can find something to enjoy in it and uh, appreciate the acting, the story, the experience, the cinematography, the writing, um, and overall fantastic film. This will be... I, I have a hard time seeing any movies this year that will best this, not necessarily as film of the year, but in like originality and just expert execution on all levels um there's gonna be some great movies this year but this one's definitely gonna be at the end of the year a top a top movie for me at least and i think spencer will agree yeah yeah definitely well that's all i've got do you have anything else anymore no that's good yeah like you said i think we could talk about the batman forever but i think we you know we hit our pros and cons our initial impressions and then obviously kind of how we rank it among the other batmans with a scale at the end Um, But we'd love to hear your thoughts. You know, if you hated it, let us know why. If you loved it as well, but you didn't love it for the reasons that we loved it, I mean, let us know. We we love kind of having a full perspective of different details and different opinions. So please reach out. Don't hesitate. Yeah. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. This has been Without a Mic, and have a great day.